Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Rene Descartes, Meditations on First Philosophy. Meditation 3 Of God, That He Exists. Part 1 I will now close my eyes. I will stop my ears. I will turn away my senses from their objects. I will even efface from my consciousness all the images of corporeal things. Or at least, because this can hardly be accomplished, I will consider them as empty and false. And thus, holding converse only with myself and closely examining my nature... I will endeavor to obtain by degrees a more intimate and familiar knowledge of myself. I am a thinking, that is, a conscious thing. That is, a being who doubts, affirms, denies, knows a few objects, and is ignorant of many. Who loves, hates, wills, refuses, who imagines likewise, and perceives. For, as I before remarked, although the things which I perceive or imagine are perhaps nothing at all apart from me and in themselves, I am nevertheless assured that those modes of consciousness which I call perceptions and imaginations, in as far only as they are modes of consciousness, exist in me. And in the little I have said, I think I have summed up all that I really know, or at least all that up to this time I was aware I knew. Now, as I am endeavoring to extend my knowledge more widely, I will use circumspection and consider with care whether I can still discover in myself anything further which I have not yet hitherto observed. I am certain that I am a thinking thing, but do I not therefore likewise know what is required to render me certain of a truth? In this first knowledge, doubtless, there is nothing that gives me assurance of its truth except the clear and distinct perception of what I affirm, which would not indeed be sufficient to give me the assurance that what I say is true, if it could ever happen that anything I thus clearly and distinctly perceived should prove false. And accordingly, it seems to me that I may now take as a general rule that all that is very clearly and distinctly apprehended, conceived, is true. Nevertheless, I before received and admitted many things as wholly certain and manifest, which yet I afterward found to be doubtful. What, then, were those? They were the earth, the sky, the stars, and all the other objects which I was in the habit of perceiving by the senses. But what was it that I clearly and distinctly perceived in them? Nothing more than that the ideas and the thoughts of those objects were presented to my mind. And even now I do not deny that these ideas are found in my mind. But there was yet another thing which I affirmed, and which, from having been accustomed to believe it, I thought I clearly perceived, although, in truth, I did not perceive it at all. I mean the existence of objects external to me, from which those ideas proceeded, and to which they had a perfect resemblance. 
and it was here I was mistaken. Or, if I judged correctly, this assuredly was not to be traced to any knowledge I possessed, the force of my perception. But when I considered any matter in arithmetic and geometry that was very simple and easy, as, for example, that two and three added together make five, and things of this sort, did I not view them with at least sufficient clearness to warrant me in affirming their truth? Indeed, if I afterward judged that we ought to doubt of these things, it was for no other reason than because it occurred to me that a God might perhaps have given me such a nature as that I should be deceived, even respecting the matters that appeared to me the most evidently true. But as often as this preconceived opinion of the sovereign power of a God presents itself to my mind, I am constrained to admit that it is easy for him, if he wishes it, to cause me to err, even in matters where I think I possess the highest evidence. And, on the other hand, as often as I direct my attention to things which I think I apprehend with great clearness, I am so persuaded of their truth that I naturally break out into expressions such as these. Deceive me who may. No one will ever yet be able to bring it about that I am not, so long as I shall be conscious that I am or at any future time cause it to be true that I have never been, it being now true that I am, or make two and three more or less than five, in supposing which, and other like absurdities, I discover a manifest contradiction. And in truth, as I have no ground for believing that deity is deceitful, and as, indeed, I have not even considered the reasons by which the existence of a deity of any kind is established, the ground of doubt that rests only on this supposition is very slight, and, so to speak, metaphysical. But, that I may be able wholly to remove it, I must inquire whether there is a God, as soon as an opportunity of doing so shall present itself. And if I find that there is a God, I must examine likewise whether he can be a deceiver. For, without the knowledge of these two truths, I do not see that I can ever be certain of anything. And that I may be enabled to examine this without interrupting the order of meditation I have proposed to myself, which is, to pass by degrees from the notions that I shall find first in my mind, to those I shall afterward discover in it, it is necessary at this stage to divide all my thoughts into certain classes, and to consider in which of these classes truth and error are, strictly speaking, to be found. Of my thoughts some are, as it were, images of things, and to these alone properly belongs the name idea, as when I represent to my mind a man, a chimera, the sky, an angel, or God. Others, again, have certain other forms, as when I will, fear, affirm, or deny. I always, indeed, apprehend something as the object of my thought. But I also embrace in thought something more than the representation of the object, and of this class of thoughts some are called volitions or affections, and others judgments. 
Now, with respect to ideas, if these are considered only in themselves and are not referred to any object beyond them, they cannot, properly speaking, be false. For whether I imagine a goat or chimera, it is not less true that I imagine the one than the other. Nor need we fear that falsity may exist in the will or affections. For although I may desire objects that are wrong, and even that never existed, it is still true that I desire them. There thus only remain our judgments, in which we must take diligent heed that we be not deceived. But the chief and most ordinary error that arises in them consists in judging that the ideas which are in us are like or conformed to the things that are external to us. For assuredly, if we but considered the ideas themselves as certain modes of our thought, consciousness, without referring them to anything beyond, they would hardly afford any occasion of error. But among these ideas, some appear to me to be innate, others adventitious, and others to be made by myself, or factitious. For, as I have the power of conceiving what is called a thing, or a truth, or a thought, it seems to me that I hold this power from no other source than my own nature. But if I now hear a noise, if I see the sun, or if I feel heat, I have all along judged that these sensations proceeded from certain objects existing out of myself. And, in fine, it appears to me that sirens, hippogriffs, and the like are inventions of my own mind. But I may even perhaps come to be of opinion that all my ideas are of the class which I call adventitious, or that they are all innate, or that they are all factitious, for I have not yet clearly discovered their true origin. What I have here principally to do is to consider, with reference to those that appear to come from certain objects without me, what grounds there are for thinking them like these objects. The first of these grounds is that it seems to me I am so taught by nature, and the second that I am conscious that those ideas are not dependent on my will, and therefore not on myself, for they are frequently presented to me against my will, as at present, whether I will or not, I feel heat. And I am thus persuaded that this sensation or idea of heat is produced in me by something different from myself namely by the heat of the fire by which I sit. And it is very reasonable to suppose that this object impresses me with its own likeness rather than any other thing. But I must consider whether these reasons are sufficiently strong and convincing. When I speak of being taught by nature in this matter, I understand by the word nature only a certain spontaneous impetus that impels me to believe in a resemblance between ideas and their objects, and not a natural light that affords a knowledge of its truth. But these two things are widely different. For what natural light shows to be true can be in no degree doubtful, as, for example, that I am because I doubt, and other truths of the like kind, inasmuch as I possess no other faculty whereby to distinguish truth from error which can teach me the falsity of what the natural light declares to be true, and which is equally trustworthy. But with respect to seemingly natural impulses, I have observed, 
when the question related to the choice of right or wrong in action, that they frequently led me to take the worst part. Nor do I see that I have any better ground for following them in what relates to truth and error. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>